Zadita contains the edge. Cloudflare flames out. Palo Alto sharpens its talons. Frameworks reframed. Calendar chaos and ongoing coverage of Okta's big oops. This week on the Gestalt IT Rundown. Welcome to the Rundown for November the 8th, 2023. My name is Tom Hollingsworth and I hope everybody out there is caffeinated because it is National Cappuccino Day. I, of course, am always caffeinated and ready to do the news with you, and this week I'm joined by my special guest co-host and Security Field Day delegate, Brian Knutson. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, and uh, we have some security-themed stories, as you probably picked up in the cold open. We've got some fun stuff that we're going to dig into, so let's jump right into it. Zadita is ready to bring Kubernetes to the edge. Their Edge Kubernetes service is a new offering for distributed environments that utilizes the existing orchestration system. The company, which presented at Edge Field Day 1, mentioned in the press release that 80% of customer workloads at the Edge will be running in containers by 2028. Already, that number is close to 70%. Zadita is working with Avasa, Red Hat, and VMware to bring their vision of Edge containerization to life. Tom, what what more is there that people need to know about this? Well, it's really great because uh, Zadita actually announced this uh, during uh, KubeCon this week, and uh, Stephen Foskett got a really great interview with them. You'll you'll be learning a little bit more about that very soon on our Gestalt IT website and also through our YouTube channel. But effectively, what Zadita said is we have this very large deployment of you know edge orchestration, and what can we do with that? We need to be able to run lightweight software out there that will allow people to you know you know make things run a little bit faster or make it a little bit easier to manage. Hmm, I wonder what kind of lightweight software we can run. There's there's really no surprise to me here. I mean, this is one of the things that I remember being pitched at the very early stages of edge computing is this idea that you can run containerized applications on the edges of your network because they're much more responsive and because it's much easier to kind of shift them around where the demand exists. Think about something like a, I don't know, like a cell phone base station tower. Like, you know, you have a lot of users that are connecting to that. Well, if the demand for what the applications need to be accessed changes over time, like, I don't know, for example, on a Sunday in February, people are suddenly using sports apps for some reason because of a superb owl that's flying around, uh, you can um, you can kind of reallocate resources and make sure that people are getting where they need to be. And this allows you to have complete control over it as well because, you know, Zadita is an orchestration platform first. They're just adding this functionality to it. And the fact that they're they're partnering with companies like Red Hat and Avasa and VMware and Sousa Rancher and a whole bunch of other, um, you know, orchestration containerization companies says, you know, they're kind of really positioning this to be uh, a solution for companies that are wanting to jump in and take advantage of, you know, containerizing applications. And I, for one, am very happy that they are because I think this is one of the things that's really going to push containers forward is this ability to deploy them not in gigantic cloud data center uh, areas, but seeing the power of what a container can give you at the edge where you have the least amount of computing power, but you're closest to the users. So like I said, make sure that you stay tuned to Gestalt IT for the coverage that Steven has with that interview with Zadita from KubeCon. All right, Brian, last Thursday, Cloudflare ran into another series of unfortunate events, and uh, it had a two-day outage with parts of their control plane and analytics services just being offline. It started with an unscheduled maintenance on one of their data center power feeds, um, but it turns out what really caused the problem was a series of unexpected failures that subverted the planned redundancies. Brian, you dug into this a little bit. What can you tell us about Cloudflare going 
Yeah. Um, a pretty, pretty sad story, actually, that um, I think has a lot of lessons for a lot of us. So it did start with, with a power outage on one of the feeds. They were in um, a Flexential data center that had multiple feeds. They had all the redundancies. They had batteries. They had generators. Everything was, was set up the way it was supposed to be. It's a tier three data center. Um, and, and the failover for the power happened like it was supposed to. But then this happened and that happened. And, and, and there's a great postmortem write-up that, that I would encourage people to go look at if they're interested in this. But really what it shows is that you can do everything right and sometimes stuff is still gonna happen. Um, you know, constant maintenance is important um, on the physical layer itself. What what really probably caused most of the problems for them, and, and I guess I should make sure to highlight the fact that most of their primary services were fine. It's just that customers couldn't run the analytics, get to some of the log files, um, and be able to manage some of those. So data was flowing fine through their network. Everything there was was properly redundant and whatnot. But there are some services that just didn't have the proper redundancies in place to truly handle this the way it should have been. So making sure that um, you know one of their big lessons learned was to make sure everything was in the proper failover domains, that it properly was disaster recovery tests, like all of these things that we get told as um, as, as individual enterprises, individual companies to do are lessons that they learned. Um, and, and obviously with Cloudflare with so much going on, it's bound to happen that things are gonna fall through the cracks and it's good that the core stuff that people really do rely on day to day was solid and happened there. But always lessons to learn, things are always gonna go down. Customers cannot rely on services 100%. They should always make sure they've got their own DR plans too no matter how good these services we subscribe to have for redundancies, make sure you've got your own redundancies. Palo Alto is looking to increase their SASE coverage with a pickup this week. They've announced that they are purchasing Talon Cybersecurity for $600 million. The company founded in Israel in 2021 has taken in about 147 million in funding so far. So a great return on investment there. Their aim is to use an enterprise browser to raise the security posture of unmanaged devices to prevent attacks like data exfiltration. Talon Cybersecurity is going to be integrated into the Prisma SASE offering upon completion of the acquisition. Tom, is this going to be a good thing for the industry or more consolidation isn't always the best thing? Well, it's it's a unique angle on this that I hadn't really considered. I, I dug into this a little bit and because I saw the word browser in all of their stuff, and I'm like, oh no, we're not doing this again. Like I just got Firefox working, and Chrome's kind of doing whatever Chrome does, and nobody uses Microsoft Edge. To call this a browser is doing it a disservice. It is a security application that can also display web pages. When you think about the amount of stuff that we do on a daily basis that we can do in a web client, whether it's you know uh, VPNs or secure web access or, or all of those things, I mean, we kind of retrofitted that into an application that everybody uses every day because I would be willing to bet that the one application that everybody uses every day is some form of a web browser, whether it's you know Microsoft Edge or Chrome or Safari or you know, God, some people start using Internet Explorer, but we've we've consolidated all these applications to run in there. What Talon's effectively saying is, why are we calling this a browser anymore? Let's call it a security application. And so what they're doing is they're having their users log in here and do all of their stuff through that system. But because they control it and because they can 
um, effectively, you know, tighten the screws whenever needed, they can do some pretty cool things with it. You know, like make sure that malware and phishing tools can't run in it. They can be a lot more circumspect about it. And as we'll find out later in the episode, sometimes, oh, I don't know, letting people do kind of things on their own laptops or do their own things on a company laptop can lead to huge problems. So by effectively telling your users, if you're going to use this laptop to do stuff, you need to be using this platform to do it, that gives them a huge advantage. And I think effectively what you're going to be seeing this is being used as a sassy portal. So, you know, we've, we've turned up your system, you've got your corporate laptop, you're going to be accessing all corporate resources and, and as much other stuff as you can through the Talon browser. And then that way we can verify, you know, you have, you know, good connectivity, you have encrypted tunnels, you are not, you know, typing your password in places that it shouldn't be typed in. And that's going to give them a huge leg up on people that are still trying to figure out how to integrate all those other services in the cloud into the end user computing. So I think that this is an interesting way to take it. I also think that Palo really wanted this company if they were willing to spend $600 million on a company that had about $150 million in investment. So I think that they see this as kind of an avenue to help deploy more of those security services and more tightly integrate this in. And as we've seen in the industry with SSE kind of becoming its own thing where the companies that uh, were really, really good at providing the software have kind of spun themselves out a little bit, I really think that you're going to see companies start to pick up and and investigate this because the browser is one of the last kind of unsecured areas that people are able to access things. And, and as we've seen over the last year, that can lead to some huge problems. All right, Brian, this one was kind of interesting and I thought it was, it was kind of a neat little deal. Um, when's the last time you checked your calendar for uh, malware? About five minutes before we started this. Exactly. Specifically, Google was doing some red team exercises, and they found something really interesting. There is a way to create a covert communications channel with malware programs using the event descriptions in your calendar. It's, it's kind of neat. There's, we'll, we'll link an article where they basically kind of break down the workflow. Um, but you can deploy malware that will read an event description. It will deploy its payload, and then it will update the event description to let you know that the payload was... Uh, deployed. And the reason why Google is saying something about this, other than the fact that I'm sure that the Google security team was like, cool, um, <laughs> is the fact that it, all it takes is a free Gmail account to get access to a calendar. And then, you know, the sky is the limit. So Brian, what do you think about this very interesting calendar hack? I, I file this under, man, I wish I would have thought about this because it's kind of an obvious avenue, but obviously not one that many people had thought about before now. So very first thing to to caveat on this is that this is a proof of concept. This is this is something that they've they've done as a as a red team as as just a hey let's figure out what other avenues the hackers might use. This isn't actively being used to anybody's knowledge, though there is active discussion of it in 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 some of the dark web places. So not something they're using now, um, but a very scary one because how many companies can really shut off access to Google Calendar? Not many. Um, because it is, I mean, some companies that is their scheduling application. That is, that is what they use to coordinate everything within their company. Um, and a lot of people interact with people that do that. So it's, it's kind of impossible to shut down. Um, the essence of it is, is that every piece of malware that gets deployed usually calls home to a command and control service 
to find out what it should do, when it should execute, so that it can coordinate with, you know, if they're going to try and hack multiple organizations at once, if they're going to try to coordinate a very specific attack within a single customer um, that that may involve human intelligence as well as as well as the malware itself. So, this is a key piece of malware. It's it's a piece that that many of these organizations depend on. And so having this this ability to call back, you know, a lot of times cut, cutting off malware is just a matter of cutting off their command and control and the whole thing kind of shuts down because it's by design, try to be quiet, try not to do anything to be noticed. And if it can't talk to that command and control, it's going to be quiet. So a really tough one to get around if anybody actually does use this as an execution. Hopefully Google's got some... Um, some way to detect if this stuff is going to be happening so that it can it can shut it down on its side but it's using very basic very basic um google calendar um utilization so it's it's going to be a tough one to to deal with from that perspective finally security frameworks are getting an update this week um uh, coming at a, an appropriate time for us to talk about so many security things um first off cvs the cvss has announced version 4.0 of you know, of its framework, which is the first major update since 2019. The vulnerability scoring system is trying to include metrics to specific subsections to help make the overall ranking number more user-friendly instead of just being an aggregate score. Additionally, the MITRE ATT&CK framework has been updated to version 14. This newest version expands detection notes and analytics to emphasize relationships between data sources and detections as well as mitigations. MITRE is also highlighting the increased amount of social engineering attacks that include impersonation and voice phishing. So Tom, obviously two of the two of the key frameworks for our industry as a whole, what what advantages are these really going to bring to people and, and how quickly should they start adopting them? So I first think that the CVSS updates are huge. And the reason for that is twofold. One, we've been seeing a lot of things that have been coming out recently with CVSS scores of like 9.7, 9.8, 10.0. And that's bad, right? On a scale of 1 to 10, a 10 is bad. Why? Like, that that's the part that I think that they've been missing for a while or maybe hasn't really brought to the forefront. Why is this bad? Is it a very complicated hack that can be done on any system that's internet-facing? Okay, that means that I just need to take my internet facing systems off the line. Or is it an attack that is trivial to accomplish, but you have to be very creative in how you access the system that gets to it? Like both of those could give you a roughly equivalent aggregate score, but you don't know the difference. Like if I've got a system that's behind two VPNs and a firewall and a DMZ, like that's a little bit more protected than just, oh, hey, this server is exposed to the internet and there's a cross-site scripting attack that can just take it down and, and we don't know how to, to fix that. So by including these subscores in CVSS, what you're doing is you're effectively giving people kind of a, a way of saying, okay, this is something that's much easier to accomplish, but much harder to gain access to. So I need to take these specific mitigations to make sure that it happens. And I think that it's gonna stop some of this fatigue that we've seen from people where like, oh, look, there's another huge attack that VMware or Cisco or Fortinet or, or whatever is under and you know we need to go run and patch things real quick this will give them a way to kind of rank how quickly they need to mitigate it and more importantly what avenues they need to take to do that so kudos to the people at CVSS for getting away from just number fatigue I mean you know they could have just done like you know 
green, yellow, red, like everything else. But by giving people more data, it really helps, I don't know, alleviate some of that stress. Now, the MITRE ATT&CK framework updates, you know, any framework that is actively being used needs to be actively updated because especially when you consider that <coughs> MITRE is kind of the gold standard for let's see where this kind of attack lands and how we're going to mitigate it. Adding in the increase in, you know, creative kinds of social engineering uh, is huge. I mean, voice phishing is a good one. Now that we have reliable ways to kind of effectively copy people's voices, how do you know that you're not talking to the CEO of the company? I mean, other than the fact they're asking you to go out and buy a whole bunch of Apple gift cards. Like, that, that's, that's one of the things. Unless you've trained your employees to know that there are certain things that should never happen, like, it, it's pretty common knowledge that people will want to help other people out. By including this on there, what you're effectively saying is, is that security attacks are not just technological attacks. You know, we're not trying to guess passwords or we're not trying to, um, you know, forge authentication tokens or something like that. No, people still get attacked with the old-fashioned, you know, uh, hi, this is Eddie Vedder in accounting. Can I get you to read me the number on the bottom of the modem from uh, everyone's favorite hacker movie, Hackers? Uh, shout out to Angelita Jolie and Johnny Lee Miller and the Gibson. But... By making it more apparent that these are things that you can face, you can then go to your security teams and have them educate more on this. Hey, we're not seeing nearly as much um, of you know these kinds of uh, you know cross-site scripting attacks or or what have you. No, what we're seeing now is they're just going to call up the people in accounting or send them phishing emails to their personal Gmail accounts that should never happen, right? Uh, as we'll find out later. Spoiler alert: it did. Um, but I like this because it also means that as they're going through there and they're updating all of this stuff, people who are using these frameworks and, and using like CVSS for scoring and things like that can ensure that they're on top of the latest things. So that, you know, kind of like when you re-rank something, if everything is a 10, then 10 means nothing anymore. So by adjusting everything down a little bit, that means that when we really do get to something important or when we see a really creative uh, attack vector, we can add that back into these frameworks so that people won't get affected by it. All right, we kind of alluded to it in a couple of stories, but we wanted to take a little bit of a closer look at a, a report that was released this week that does not paint Okta in a good light. Um, the latest breach of Okta, you know, the big one that everybody's talking about that's had such massive fallout, it appears to have been caused by an employee doing something they shouldn't have. Now, for those of you who don't know, the biggest part that was released in this report was that Okta had a bunch of their session tokens from their customers stolen. The number of tokens was actually relatively low compared to the number of customers that Okta has. It was around 144 tokens. However, the problem is that it was found because a Google or an employee logged in to their personal Google account on their corporate laptop and saved the username and password in that browser and the attackers were able to effectively compromise that account and then use that to be able to get into Okta systems and steal these tokens and that is actually being blamed on a lot of other attacks that have been going on people have been using these these tokens to be able to get into other people's systems and do all kinds of crazy stuff and it's gotten to the point where Okta's stock is starting to go down because it's really starting to affect the way that people have faith in, in an identity management system. Now, Brian, I, being someone who's very tuned into the security world, I mean, what does this say about Okta's own internal controls and what should people kind of be looking at to prevent this from happening in the future? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't know their internal controls super well, so I don't want to judge whether they didn't have the right ones or the or the right ones failed, because just like we talked about with Cloudflare, sometimes things just go sideways in unpredictable ways. Um, you can't cover every single base. Um, it's It's a little bit of a testament to that is the fact that we've had so many cybersecurity companies have issues. Um, Okta has had a run lately. We've seen LastPass in the past. Cloudflare, obviously, not security issues in Cloudflare's case, but they've gotten swept up in this Okta thing now, too. Um, you know, it's it's got notes of trust your providers, um, you know, the the chain of custody type thing, who who all has your data and how are they treating it, um, all get swept up into this. It's it's a huge story of, of lessons learned as well from the security side, similar to the way Cloudflare was on the, the re- resiliency side of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, not logging into personal stuff, um, not saving <laughs> passwords into the browser, um, is, is a big one that, um, you know, is, is part of my personal thing. Like, no browser, stop asking me. I have someplace even better to, to save that. Um, it are, are all good lessons learned here that, that shouldn't have been happening. Um, you know, we, some, those of us have been around for a while, remember carrying two pagers or a cell phone and a pager or two cell phones, depending on, you know, one was our personal one was for work. And, you know, for whatever reason, back then we didn't, we didn't mix the two. Um, that kind of went away with smartphones and the ability to have separate apps. But I think we're, we're starting to come back to the other side on that where a lot of us do carry two laptops. One is our personal laptop. If we want to do our personal email, one is the work laptop for doing, doing things like logging into customer support portals and, where, where all the crown jewels are held. So a lot of, a lot of good lessons learned in this one, um, things we should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and, and also notes of lots of other, other elements in there too. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really kind of driving this point home is not that we're dealing with sophisticated attacks. I mean, this was kind of pretty basic. It's that our, Systems are trying to help us in ways that are actually not that helpful. And one of the things that I'll actually go back to is Google Authenticator. It's actually, you know, a lot of people use it as like a gold standard for doing authentication uh, for two-factor stuff. I mean, you know, we've, we finally admitted that getting a, a one-time code texted to you is probably a bad thing. But Google actually compromised their authentication system without even realizing it by allowing you to upload your authentication tokens to the cloud so that you can sync them down to other devices. On the surface, great idea, right? I don't have to worry about making sure that everything is synced up or using only one device, except in this particular case, if you have access to someone's Google account, you have access to all their authentication tokens too, and you can impersonate them. So in the interest of making people's lives easier, you've actually made people's lives harder. Let's go all the way back to the 80s, and I'm going to pick out two movies in particular, War Games and Superman 3. Do you guys remember that those two things have something in common where they're trying to launch a missile, and they have two keys that are given to two different people, and they have to put them into two locks on opposite sides of a console that are 10 feet apart, and you have to turn them both at the same time? Now everyone's like, oh, that's just good security, because you know, you're just making sure that both of them agree. No. You're making sure that no one person can make a decision that requires authentication to make it happen. Like the reason why both of those things are so far away is because you both have to turn them at the same time and you physically cannot do that unless you're Wilt Chamberlain. For those of you who are too old to remember, he was a really tall basket player with really long, long arms. 
But you've got to be able to separate those things. And I get it. Part of what we, what we do with security is we want to overcome the challenges of this. I am almost positive that that Okta employee knew that logging into their personal Gmail account on their work laptop was a bad idea. I also am willing to bet, and I don't know this for sure, they probably needed to check something really quick that someone had accidentally emailed to them, or it was just a real quick <coughs> pop in, grab it, and get out. Security is not always maliciously evil. Sometimes it's accidentally evil. We did. We know we're not supposed to do those things. I mean, how many times in the you know have we seen people accidentally paste an AWS API key into GitHub code, and then it got violated and and hijacked within seconds? Like there are literally bots that scrape GitHub looking for API keys. Like like we know that happens, and we're training ourselves to be better about it. But it only goes so far, and that was one of the things. Is if you if you read through the press release that Okta had when they announced what was what was going on, like they've tried to minimize this. Oh, you know, we have eighteen thousand customers, and only one hundred and forty four of these tokens were stolen. That's like less than one percent. I would argue it's more than zero. Like if you are one of the six seventeen thousand eight hundred and fifty six customers who's not affected, big deal. But what if you're not? And that's where they really need to do a better job of kind of hammering this home. Every exception should be treated as if it's a major problem. We're going to do our best to remediate this. We're going to make sure that we put controls in place. I like one of the things that Okta said is, well, we weren't doing a very good job of monitoring what was happening when, when people were accessing those tokens. Like that should be a big deal. Like you should not just be able to get access to something simply because you want it. Like you should be able, there should be other controls in place. We're not going to allow you to download this unless we've authenticated this request with an authorized user, like the chief security officer or something like that. And the reason for that is because those kinds of controls, that kind of two-step authentication, not plug in a code from my phone, but make sure somebody else knows what's going on. That is a better way to prevent this because you're involving the brain of another human who's sitting there going, wait a minute, something doesn't feel right about this. Yeah. And you, you touched on the observability aspect of things, which is, you know, know what's going on in your environment. This thing sat in their environment for over 14 days. Um, it, they were, they were dwelling for quite a while, which is, you know, one of the major, major things in security is you got to detect fast so you can respond fast. Um, it's amazing that, it wasn't a larger blast radius, quite honestly. Um, that was plenty of time to exfiltrate a lot more data. Um, and maybe they have it. Um, you know, it's 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 possible. But, you know, Okta admitted, you know, their their major failure was one, not, you know, allowing by allowing or their employees to log into personal accounts, but then secondarily the fact that they had a blind spot within their system. Um, apparently there was multiple ways that a a user could access this information that that they took these tokens. Um, one path was well was well um, alerted and and observed. The other one, not as much. Um, this makes one wonder the the threat actors in this in this scenario, whoever did this, um, did they have some inside knowledge of that? Did they know that they took a path that would allow them to hide longer? Um, that that's got to that's got to raise some big concerns for Okta hopefully, um, that, that they're digging into to figure out how they would know that. Because maybe they were lucky. Maybe maybe it was a 50-50 chance and, and they ruled a critical hit on that. But 
odds are usually not the case in that in that regard. So, um, you know, it's it's a lesson in in the entire NIST cybersecurity framework to some extent. You know, you've you've got to have the proper protections. You got to have the proper detections as well. Um, and and detecting it is is critical in these situations. And again, a cybersecurity company that doesn't have those proper controls, doesn't have the proper observability in place, is is a little bit off-putting, to be honest. Exactly. And this is a saga that's going to continue to go on. And while we wait for Okta to figure out how to calculate Thaco properly, we will definitely be bringing you more news in the Gestalt IT rundown every week. But coming up, we have some things that we definitely want to make sure that you're aware of. Um, most of them are happening actually today. So uh, I'm going to be online probably right now as you're listening to this uh, with Security Field Day 10. We've got two great presentations from Forward Networks and from Druva. Um, make sure you head over to techfieldday.com to learn more information about that. We're also going to be talking about Commvault Shift, which is Commvault's uh, big security-focused um, uh event this week. Uh, there's probably also going to be talking a lot about data protection and storage and things like that. Stephen Foskett is actually there with a group of folks and they'll be live blogging and doing some coverage so make sure you stay tuned for that. Next week I'm going to be out because we're going to be doing Mobility Field Day November 15th and 16th. Again techfieldday.com for more details on that. We have four great presentations from uh, Cisco, Wybot, Nile, Inventive. You can check out the schedule there. And after you've finished with your Thanksgiving turkey, tofurkey, turducken, whatever you do, uh, make sure you tune in because Steven's actually going to be at AWS reInvent this year, and he's going to be talking to some great companies, and we'll be posting interviews from that. So make sure you stay tuned to Gestalt IT for that. Just like you stay tuned to Gestalt IT every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time for all of the great rundown news coverage that we have. We always collect uh, the best stories that we can find, and, and we want to share them with you. And we are very glad that you follow us on our website, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Gestalt IT video. And we hope that you subscribe to us in your podcast feed so that you can listen to us when you're out caroling or looking at the Christmas lights because we know that your family wants to hear all about security breaches and new chip releases and who's buying who. It's the best way to uh, get them in the holiday spirit. We'll be back next Wednesday with uh, more great news. Stephen will have a great co-host and then we'll be back uh, after the holidays with more great stuff. So stay tuned for more stuff from us. We'll see you soon. Take care and stay safe. Thank <laughs> you.